If you've never been to a Good Friday service before, welcome. Uh, it's our joy to have you tonight. I would say that this is my most favorite service of the year. Um, I don't know why, except the simple fact that, uh, I don't know about you, but how many of you would say that you need constant reminding, as I do, of the power and the majesty and the beauty of the cross? And uh, so tonight, I hope that you would just allow us the space to kind of create attention and hold attention in this room tonight. Um, you know, what's unfortunate about living in the 21st century is that we have now hindsight, don't we? We've got the Bible at the end of the day that tells us we win. And what's hard many times is that when we have this moment and we have what we have through scripture is that it's really easy to lose the weight and the gravity of Good Friday. It's really easy to lose the, the power and the, the presence of, of this moment. And so my heart tonight, my hope tonight, is that we don't have an excited moment, let's call it restrained excitement, if you will. Because we've gotta look at Good Friday, we've gotta look at this moment, we've gotta look at the cross if we are to step into Resurrection Sunday with an actual celebratory heart, because we must understand Good Friday in order to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And so I want us to walk through some scripture tonight that I feel is really important, and uh, I hope it challenges you tonight. I hope it uh, convicts you tonight. I hope it adds some weight to this Friday. Uh, they say by way of tradition that we've got Good Friday. Tomorrow is considered Silent Saturday. Could you imagine being the disciples? You had no idea what was coming. So you left this moment, you left the death of Jesus thinking it's all over. And man, every pastor and every preacher on the planet right now wants to get to Sunday. It's so fun to preach. It's okay, you can still laugh tonight, that's fine. <laughs> It's so fun to preach, but we've gotta stop. We've gotta stay here for a second. We've gotta position our hearts. We have to put our souls in the place where we, where, where we remember that he died. Because the death of Jesus is so powerful and so necessary. Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. You all right with lots of scripture tonight. And it said this, and this is gonna be a little bit longer form of a message as well, because I want us to immerse ourselves in the beauty of this moment. Is that all right with everybody? Can we all afford some scripture tonight on this Good Friday? Luke 23, 26 through 43 says this, as they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others, criminals, were also led to be executed with him. And when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals on the right hand and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing, and they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. 
And one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you ever fear God for undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then they said, Jesus. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Tonight as we observe Good Friday, I wanna speak to you from the subject, going to Golgotha. Going to Golgotha as we look at the power and the necessity of the cross in our lives. We pray with me just one more time today. Jesus, speak to us. We need your word on this evening. God, our ears are open and our minds are ready and our hearts are soft. Would the seed of your word take root tonight? Would it bear fruit? Would it change us? God, I pray that every single one of us leave here tonight different than we came in. And so we give you this time as we focus on your word, as we focus on the cross. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, I like taking my kids to the store mainly because I can get them to carry things. <laughs> and so occasionally we'll go to the store instead of, instead of getting a cart, cart's easy, isn't it? My four-year-old daughter, she walks in and whenever we go to the store, she looks for the car cart. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and occasionally my wife does too, it's fun. So, um, and I, no, 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 I don't, we're not gonna get a cart tonight. We're not gonna get a cart today. We're just gonna walk through the store. And then this is what they'll say is they'll say, well, then we're like, what are we gonna do with the groceries and stuff? And I'm like, we're gonna carry them. We're gonna carry them. We're gonna use these things, these appendages <laughs> called hands. And there's an exercise in this. One of those things that's in my head and I'm trying to do as a father is the reason that I want them to carry things with me is because I want them to immerse themselves in the experience of it. Not that it's significant in any way, but it's getting them, it's teaching them something, it's giving them more weight and more gravity to the moment. I want you to carry things with me in the store. So we carry the groceries and we'll walk up and we, and we put it down. And so they'll forever remember those moments being in the store with their dad because they carried something with me to the checkout line. I immerse them in it, I, I put them in it. Dad, why do we have to carry this? And I tell them because I want them to be a part of what we're doing. You see, when we carry something, it adds weight to the experience. And you see, for many of us, we've picked up the product of the cross, but we've never felt the weight of the cross. For many of us, we have diligently worked for a field good faith, and in doing so, we are no longer acquainted with the cross. And this is why Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11. Listen to this this truth and the weight of this. This is what he says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. 
Listen to Paul's language, the fellowship of his sufferings conformed to his death. This is what it means to be acquainted. Everybody shout acquainted. Acquainted, acquainted with the cross. This is what it means to go to Golgotha. But this is where we struggle, isn't it? Because the miracle of grace is dualistic in nature. It includes both death and life, cross and resurrection. And this is the power of Good Friday. The theologian John Owen said it like this, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. And what was seen as great defeat was actually the greatest victory ever recorded. Now, I've got to restrain myself right now, and I'm trying to because everything inside of me wants to like get like, you see what I'm talking about? This is the duality of Good Friday. Oh, there's so much in it. We're looking forward to Resurrection Sunday, but we've got to go to Golgotha. We all have to go to Golgotha because it's there we are met with the mechanism of grace, the cross. Now, from a historical perspective, carrying the cross was a sign of guilt. And Jesus was not guilty. Jesus simply died a guilty man's death. This is why what we see transpire between Jesus and Simon of Cyrene is so powerful. Now, we don't know much about Simon of Cyrene, but what we do know is pretty important and makes this moment of him carrying Jesus' cross even more important. Simon of Cyrene. <clears throat> Cyrene was an ancient Greek city on the North African coast nearing present-day Shahat, a town located in northeastern Libya. We know that Simon would have traveled some 800-plus miles with thousands of other Jews from other countries to attend the feasts that were happening due to Passover. Simon's trip would be hijacked as he would be required by the Roman guard to aid in carrying Jesus' cross. And I believe that there is a truth that we must observe here, and that is this. The cross will always interrupt our lives. See, too often, and for many of us, the cross has become a trinket of our faith rather than the core of our faith. It has become something that we look at rather than something we carry. Come on, is anybody with me tonight? We have to go to Golgotha. The author of the Worsby's expository commentary put it like this. Too much religious devotion is only sentimental emotion that is shallow and transient. Jesus wants us to share the fellowship of his sufferings. But it's not popular to talk this way, is it? It's actually why, funny enough, the cross is left out of weekend services so often. This is the truth that Jesus would communicate to his disciples before he would be arrested and crucified. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through to 26. He says this, and Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Now remember, crucifixion was a common form of punishment that was used by the Romans in the first century. So as Jesus shares this truth with his, with his disciples, there was a common understanding as to what it meant and what it looked like to bear a cross. However, it was not a cross that they would foresee their Messiah as having to bear. Nor was it one following Jesus. 
They didn't, they didn't see it that way. They didn't conceptualize it that way. Everything about the cross was scandalous. It was brutal. It was criminal. It was the symbol of a regime and an institution that was wrought with violence and oppression and guile and hatred. Yet placed on the back of and healing, hope, and power. Once again, highlighting the duality of Good Friday and the march to Golgotha. The cross would be carried to Golgotha. In Aramaic, meaning the skull. Eventually, Golgotha would be known as the place of the skull. If you look at ancient pictures of it, and, and even recent pictures of it, the reason that it fames this name now is because the actual rocks look like a skull. Everybody say Golgotha. It was a place of blood, it was a place of tears, it was a place of brutality, it was the place of derision, it was a place that would represent everything ugly in the world and yet would be a place that would host our suffering savior and would be host to the greatest victory mankind would ever know. We have to go to Golgotha. But what I wanna do tonight in just our remaining moments together is I've always been fascinated by Simon of Cyrene. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you came in here tonight and you traveled 800 miles to be here? And then one of our ushers at the door said, here is a 30 to 40 pound cross beam for a cross, we'd like you to carry this. How many of you'd be like, nope, I'm out. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't come here for that. This is Simon's experience. He would show up to celebrate Passover. He would show up to, to be immersed in the celebration of what they were engaging in. And all of a sudden, he would find himself on the side of a road as this denigrated and broken and brutalized savior would be passing by, bloodied to the point of almost death already. The Roman guard who had all legal provision to do so would say, we need you to carry this crossbeam. And Simon would now have his own personal journey to Golgotha. He would follow our savior, Jesus. He would walk behind him with the cross of, of pain and of brokenness. Simon would go to Golgotha. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at Simon's life a little bit and look at this moment because I think that there's some powerful truths that it provides us with as we consider this Good Friday. Here's the first truth that I want us to understand tonight. And if you are taking notes, I hope that you are because I pray that this could be your focus point for the next 48 hours or so. Here's what I want us to hear. Here's the first truth that I believe we need to understand this Good Friday is that the cross is not an interruption, it's a disruption. The cross is not an interruption, it's a disruption. Galatians chapter two, verses 20 through 21 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not, listen to this, listen to Paul's words. They are strong and they, they are straight to the point. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See, there are many of us in this room tonight who have simply allowed the cross to be an interruption rather than a total disruption. My kids have a tendency to get in the middle of my conversations with my wife. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Does anybody else have a, have a kid? 
who feels it necessary to jump into the middle of a conversation, right? And so we're teaching them right now. We're trying our best to be like, listen, you guys can't interrupt us. You can't, you can't jump in, you need to say, excuse me. And it's like, but like when we say, excuse us, you don't listen to us. And we're like, that's the point. That's the whole exercise. So they'll walk up and, and, they'll, and the most frustrating thing, come on parents, especially if you're not a parent in here, don't worry, like one day you'll get this same moment, okay? But the most frustrating thing on the planet is when we're talking and we're having a good conversation and, it's, and we're like in depth with each other and we're, maybe we're discussing something personal and intimate or maybe it's a, 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 a theological conversation or we're talking stuff around here and all of a sudden we're like, we're in it and we're digging in and it's great and it's awesome and then they'll jump into our conversation and we're totally thrown off. And then you know that moment where you try to come back to the conversation and you're like, where, where were we? <laughs> See, there's some moments when they interrupt us that we can jump back into the conversation. There are some moments where we can get right back on track where we are at, but there's other moments that when they interrupt us, it's no longer an interruption, it's a disruption. We can't find where we were. We can't remember what we were talking about. And this is how many of us experience the cross of Christ. It interrupts our life for a moment. It pauses things for a moment, but we pick up right where we left off. However, disruption is very different. When you're disrupted, you can't find the place that you were at. Why? Because it was a disruption. It messes everything up. It changes everything. This is the cross of Christ and its impact on our lives. Everything should change because the veracity and the power of the cross is the thing that changes us the most. Whenever we come to the cross, we should be impacted significantly. We are left different. We can no longer pick up where we left off. We can no longer go back to the things that we were doing. We can no longer think the same way or see the same way or talk the same way. Why? Because we've been disrupted. See, when we've been crucified with Christ, it's not me who lives anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. And we know that this took place in Simon of Cyrene's life because of what Mark includes in his gospel. And if you've never seen this before, I hope this just like blows your mind for a second. In the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verses 20 through 21, I want you to listen to how he sightlines the crucifixion. They led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus's cross. He was Simon of Cyrene. And then Mark adds this. He says, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now for many of us reading scripture, we would pass by that and be like, great, he had some kids, fantastic. But if you dig deeper and read more and study it out a little bit more. Most scholars, almost every single one of them would agree that the family lineage is of no consequence unless the lineage is known. Paul the apostle will make a mention of a man named Rufus in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, that most scholars agree is the same man mentioned in Mark chapter 15, the son of Simon of Cyrene. The point is this, the cross did not just interrupt Simon's life, it changed it completely and it changed his family. 
from a Jewish man participating in the ritual of Passover to a man that would participate in the passion of Christ. Simon would go to Golgotha and he would arrive at the place of the skull and he would be changed forever. Friend, I need us to know that when you and I go to Golgotha, we leave everything of the old there. We become new because he paid the price. It is the cross. It is the place of the skull. We must go to Golgotha. Number two, the cross is not meant to pacify. It is meant to purge. The cross is not meant to pacify, it's meant to purge. First Peter chapter two. If you've been going to church here for a little while, it's a little book we're studying. <laughs> for a long time. First Peter chapter two, 24 through 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died in sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The cross is meant to be surgical. Come on. The cross is meant to be surgical. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world, so he gave his one and only son unto death. You see, his love is the anesthesia necessary for the surgery of the cross. Some of you may not understand that. See, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to look at the cross as love. No, no, God so loved the world that he sent his son. God's love is the anesthesia for the brutality of the cross because the cross is not meant to pacify, it's meant to purge. The cross is meant to deal with our sin. The cross is meant to deal with our brokenness. We must have the cross. Can you hang on till resurrection Sunday? <laughs> Make no mistake, the cross is surgical, it's invasive. My concern for this generation is that we see the cross as something it's not. We romanticize it, we sedate it, we imagine it as something that it's not. The cross is ruthless. I said the cross is ruthless. It's meant to purge us of our flesh, our brokenness, our sin. The cross was necessary sacrifice in order to deal with the gravity of sin. Can we still say sin these days? Someone once said it like this. They said light and erroneous views of sin lead to light and erroneous views of the cross. It loses its weight, it loses its gravity. Oswald Chambers would put it like this. Sin is not weakness, it's a disease. It is a red-handed rebellion against God and the magnitude of that rebellion is expressed by Calvary's cross. See, we've sedated sin, haven't we? We've said it's brokenness and we said it's a bad day and we said it's the wrong side of the bed. No, 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 my friends, sin is a disease. It's been passed on and it's in us and that's why we must go to Golgotha. That's why we need Good Friday because without Good Friday, there's no power in Resurrection Sunday. Our sin and our brokenness need to be dealt with. 
It's the place of the skull. That's what I love about Good Friday, is that once again, we have to acquaint ourselves with the cross. As we get ready to take communion in just a bit, it forces us to once again remember the cross. See, for me, the cross is a reminder not just of secure eternity, but that of a, a change in the here and the now. See, I'm not who I was when I found the cross. And like Simon, to carry it means that I'm intimately acquainted with it. The cross purged my life. Am I perfect? No. But I'm not who I used to be. And it's because of the cross. And so I continue to march further and further away from the place that I was first splintered by the cross. Just one more step. It's the walk to Golgotha. And here's my concern is that if we just go to Golgotha once a year on Good Friday, then we lessen, we lighten, power and the intensity of this loving surgery. And all we're left with is a church with an awesome band and a great TED talk. Christ did not die for a great band and a good TED talk. Christ died for the creation that he made, his sons and his daughters who were infected with a disease and that disease was known as sin. And Christ would march to Golgotha. He would go to the place of the skull and on that hill, he would give his life. Number three. Y'all still with me tonight? Number three, the cross is not meant to accuse, it's meant to acquit. Colossians chapter two, verses 14 to 15 says this, Paul Apostle writing, he says, he, Jesus, erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. That was against us and opposed us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. The cross is not meant to accuse you and I, it's meant to acquit us. Simon carried the cross of an innocent man so that man could carry the cross of a guilty humanity. The cross does not accuse us, it acquits us. It dismisses our debt due to sin, a debt that Paul tells us in Romans chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, too often we see the cross as accusatory. 
The cross does not accuse, but it does not gloss over. And that's the purpose of it. The cross helps us see the veracity of sin in our life and it had to be matched by the veracity and violence of the cross. That's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so beautiful. It was the debt that was caused by our sin and our brokenness. And my hope tonight is once again, we can, be a, we can become acquainted with the cross. We can once again remember its power and its necessity that we would not cheapen it or romanticize it or minimize it, but rather it would become like folly to those who are perishing. But to you and I, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that it would be the power of God to those who are being saved. It's the cross, we gotta go to Golgotha. It's the place of the skull. I was arguing with God three days back. If you know my personality at all, I like to change things a lot. So I'm not gonna lie to you. I wanted to come to the table with creative message. Because here's the crazy thing, this, this service comes every single year. I know, wild. And I'm like, are you serious? I gotta preach the same thing again? that's where God just gently reminds me. Yeah, because it's the only story that matters. <laughs> that's why I love this service. It's not a flashy service. There's, there's, there's nothing about this. It, it's, it's worship, it's teaching. We're gonna take communion together now. And then we're gonna worship our faces off again. Because that's what you do when you realize the power in the cross. <laughs> You have no other option but to give him your praise. I've got no other option but to lift my voice and praise him. I've got no other option but to give him my hands and give him my lungs and give him my mouth and give him every inch of me. Why? Because the power of sin and death has been broken. It is by the cross. It is at Golgotha that everything is taken care of. Have you been to the base of the skull? Have you gone to Golgotha? And if you haven't, we're gonna do it together right now. So I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to your feet. Some of you, do we sit, do we stand, do we sit, do we stand? Come on, what would you do if you walked into the room? Some of us are like, we wouldn't be standing. These guys are like, we would fall on our faces. Oh, he'll come back one day. But until then, church, can we go to Golgotha? Can we remind ourselves of the place of the skull? On your seats, you were given this little bag right here. I wanna invite you to take out its contents. 
And you can go ahead and open the, the cup. Please don't spill it so that you can drink it. It's been a long time since we've taken communion together as a church. Theologically, this moment's difficult at times because I know there's some of us in the room that might partake of this tonight and not even really fully understand what it is that we are doing. I hope that this message tonight helps you grab a hold of that. There's others of us in this room tonight, as Paul would deal with in his letter to the Corinthians, taking communion is a little bit of a struggle as well as because you're holding something in your heart against another person. Paul would encourage us to go deal with that offense and then come back to the, t the table of communion with purity. But here's what I wanna do. First and foremost, we're gonna give an invitation at the end of service in just a little while for those of you who maybe have yet to say yes to Jesus. But before we take communion tonight, I just wanna ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes. Actually, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed in this moment. If you've yet to say yes to Jesus and you're in this room tonight, you just heard the story. Jesus, caught in the flesh, lived among us, walked among us, and gave his life on the cross for you, for me. And if you're in this room tonight and you've yet to say yes to Jesus and you would be sitting here right now before we take communion and you're saying, man, I wanna say yes to this savior. Would you just lift your hand right now? I wanna just pray with you. If that's you, just go ahead and put it up right now. If that's you in this room tonight. Anybody? Okay, great. Second thing we're gonna pray for before we take communion is those of us who might be holding something in our heart tonight, an offense or unforgiveness. I can ask anybody to raise their hands, but you know who you are, you know what's going on. And so Jesus, right now, we just hand that over to you. God, we give forgiveness as you've forgiven us. We let go of anything that would hinder us hinder our hearts from receiving communion tonight with clarity. We acknowledge your goodness and we acknowledge that you have forgiven and so we forgive in Jesus' mighty name. As we lift our heads, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27 says this, this is Paul the apostle writing, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together tonight. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance 
of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Jesus' name, would you drink with me this evening? Let's lift our hands to heaven. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. And we once again offer our lives to you. Lead us where you would lead us. Take us where you would take us, God. We thank you that our sins are forgiven tonight, that the power of the cross was sufficient to break the back of the enemy, that the power of the cross was sufficient enough to deal with sin, that the power of the cross was sufficient to deal with the disease. And we now stand here today free and who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we thank you for victory. We thank you that we stand new and righteous in your eyes. We thank you that your blood covers all things. And we thank you, God, that you are doing a new work in our lives. Your cross is everything that we need. And so we once again give our allegiance to the cross, the thing that is above all the other things, God, which broke the back of the enemy in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shout it.